Morning, class. Morning, Professor Braids Price. I'll be filling in for your regular teacher today. Bags down, pens out, and let's get ready to start working. In this episode, we're going to talk all about our educations in and out of the schooling system. What has shaped us and given us the expertise for, to be the grown-ups we are today? <laughs> Rubes, do you like school? I loved school. I absolutely loved I it. I so knew you were going to say yeah, that. I absolutely did. I loved it. I loved <laughs> learning. I loved reading. I loved uh, getting maths questions right. Yeah, I loved school. Did you always have your hand up? Yeah, I was always at the front. <laughs> always at the front, always with my hand up. But I, like, I, I liked school, but I didn't like kids at school. You like the like teachers? Yeah, I loved all the teachers. Teachers' pet. And all the teachers' Poffin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't know if we would have been as close at school. I, I, I was at the back. You were probably cool and I had no friends, so probably, probably <laughs> I wasn't sense. cool, I was just weird. <laughs> and I just, like, yeah, I used to cause trouble a bit. And I'm really dyslexic, so I was disruptive. Actually, maybe we would be friends, because all throughout my primary school, I had to sit next to the dyslexic kid and help them read. Oh, yeah. So maybe we would be friends. (laughs) I always used to just sit there and just be like, if you want to be my lover. (laughs) I just say the same thing over and over again. Oh my God, like a nervous My lover, lover. (laughs) If you want to be my lover, you have got to give. What was your favourite of the lessons? I loved English and I found a lot of solace in books. Kind of similar to you now, but like I didn't have any many friends at school, so I Hermione. Spent a lot of time at the library, yeah. That was my like whole thing. And uh, my English literature teacher, Mr. Brennan, was amazing and he'd always let me like read out aloud in class and I got like hundred <laughs> percent on a few, you know, dictations. Oh, wow. So I was always really like interested in English. Mine was PE. Oh fun. Because you didn't have to write anything for PE. <laughs> PE was where it was at. Running around was the best oh man that was so not we were so complete opposite at school that's so weird we, we wouldn't be i friends. was like sports captain sports house captain wow god and sports day was like the biggest day of the year for me oh my god i would always that's get my on such a prick. <laughs> one year we won the house cup and i cried when we won it how embarrassing is that <laughs> that is amazing that is actually amazing did you, did you like cross-country running then was that like a- yeah yeah that was like my worst nightmare. I used Loved to sit it. and wait because you had to do a certain laps. I used to sit and wait for them to like do all the laps. Like, and just, just join on the last <laughs> lap. And there was a girl in my year who would smoke fags and she'd keep them in her bra and she'd like stop and just do the same as me but she'd be smoking fags. And what would so you like, be doing? Reading. Well, I would just be like waiting. <laughs> waiting for Aww. the days to end. And now, a definition. A definition of education. The process of receiving or giving systematic instruction, especially at school or university. Or it can just be an enlightening experience, (laughs) which is nice. It is nice. It's not just for school. No. First of all, I want to talk about educating girls and being girls in school. Gals. Gals, yeah. Girls in skirts. It's annoying because I think that even the word girl can sound more frivolous than boy. Boy. Boy, I'm an educated you boy. boy, and I'm an educated girl. Whenever anyone says girl, I always think when people go, you stupid girl. Yeah. Yeah. Girls, girls. So let's talk about um, single sex education. Were you single sexed? <laughs> was, there, was, was there any dick on the dance floor at your school? Uh, yes, there was. There were, I went to a, a Absolute co- sausage co-educational, co-ed. co-educational school. Yeah, yeah. yeah me too. The um, headmaster of Eton... One of the, I want to say best schools, but that doesn't feel right. One of the most expensive schools and highly of, rated amongst the elite. One of the schools that produces probably the wealthiest... People ever. Yeah. 
Um, so, Tony Little, the headmaster of Eton, says that single-sex education allows students to be themselves. <laughs> Would you agree? Did you feel like you weren't able to be yourself at I, school? I was thinking about this, and I just don't know if any student knows who they are. Yet. In order to be yourself, <laughs> how can you find that out? I think I would find it really difficult to be in, in single-sex education, or I would have found it really difficult because I had a brother and I had lots of male friends, like family friends, and that, that would yeah. have kind of made me look at education as a separate bubble to, like, what everything else in my world was. Did so, the boys hold you back, though? I mean, it's hard to ever know, but I remember being a teenager and having this kinds of, like, really epic crushes where you can't yeah. concentrate and you're like... Just I'm writing, just the... I love, and then their initials over, <laughs> over and over, over again. Yeah. And just hope, I used to write it on my hand and then, like, show, like lean on my hand so they'd see. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> it's not really, it's a bit stalkery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I definitely used to stalk this one guy who, uh, I'm just going to tell everyone, because fuck it. Uh, George Alagaya's son went to my school. George Alagaya's son. Adam Alagaya. And Alagaya I was, is such a strong surname, isn't it? He was just such a childhood babe I mean I was so <laughs> into him and he broke his nose once and I followed him all around the corridors uh, it why? Was, I don't know I just wanted to you were worried about I wanted him. to check he was okay <laughs> probably <laughs> here's some like quick stats on single sex schools girls from poorer families in single sex schools got better GCSEs than their counterparts in mixed schools in mixed schools, 55% of pupils got five good GCSEs, including English and maths, while in single-sex schools, the proportion was 75%. So that's like 25% more likely to get good GCSEs in mm. like the core subjects, English and maths. <laughs> Did you feel like they were core for you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, sciences, mm. maths, English, they were very important, yeah. I knew everyone else thought they were important, but I didn't feel they were important. <laughs> <laughs> like, for me, it was like PE religious studies and art <laughs> they were my <laughs> core subjects um girls from single sex schools are more likely to take male dominated subjects such as maths and science when choosing their next level of their education girls who attended single sex schools also had slightly higher wages than their co-ed peers in midlife so these girls that are like our age might be beginning to make more money than us now i think that's not just down to the single sex and sexness of it though because a lot of comprehensive schools aren't are all are mixed yeah it's there rare isn't that you really see rare to get state-run schools that, yeah. are, that are still single sex um, do you wish you went to single sex at any time when i saw st trinian's did you see that film yeah yeah when i saw that i was like that <laughs> could have been really cool and actually very sexy though very sexy very, very fun i like love the lads <laughs> like i wouldn't give up any of my like teenage crushes or weird teenage relationships I don't know, I just had a lot of fun. No, definitely. Kissing boys at the school disco, passing notes and skipping class. And like learning <laughs> about that kind of stuff that isn't really education. Yeah. Like learning about dating or kissing or penises or erections in class. I mean, not that I had them. No, but boys did. They them. used to be like, I've got an erection. And everyone everyone like, oh my God, look, look, look. Yeah. yeah, like all of that stuff was just so like quite joyful. But also, ultimately, if school is supposed to prep you for the future, yeah. it's supposed to provide this environment for you that like gets you ready for that. And the world is mixed gendered. Everything mm. else about your life is that. There's not many other situations you get as an adult that kind of a single sex. Maybe like there's women only gyms or being in a nunnery. <laughs> being in a nunnery. <laughs> but if you're in a nunnery, you probably would have liked a single sex education. Cause... Yeah. But then... What's the point of if you're a nun being on your own? It's like an assumption that you're heterosexual and you mm. don't want to be tempted. 
Is it? Well, I think it's this whole idea that you kind of mentioned earlier, which is about enlightenment. You know, the definition of education is about enlightenment. It's almost like holy. Yeah. And to reach the holy state of enlightenment, you probably need no distractions no at distractions. all. No distractions. It is kind of monk-like and kind of pure. Yeah. And you, you, actually, if you do have some boy that you fancy in your class while you're trying to learn about you know, some period of history. You can't be thinking about whether his tongue tastes like ice cream. <laughs> you should be, you know, you have to be thinking about like, other things. You know kissing boys that are teenagers, didn't they all taste like milk? <laughs> <laughs> all taste like milk. It's kind of nice, like, I don't mind milk. No, I, me neither, like a mini milk. Yeah, like they've all just had a mini milk lolly before <laughs> kissing you. Well, when I went to university, I lived with a few boys who'd been to single sex school and they had no idea how to talk to girls. And one of them said to me once when they were drunk, I've never had a girl that's a friend before. It's weird that we're friends and I don't fancy you. It's like, thanks. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if it makes you at a huge advantage, disadvantage because a lot of the women that I know who went to single sex schools are very successful right now i think it's deeply wrong oh to put your child in a single sex school mm-hmm. i know it's quite controversial but i just think it's really negative to teach your child that they need to be split apart from another gender as if your gender in some way defines you and if we're going to make any real change we have to educate children together and fairly and allow them to not have to conform to their gender binary. I, I don't know how personally damaging it is, but socially, to, and also because a lot of single-sex schools are private schools, as we were saying, it's like saying sticking to your gender bar- binary is a privilege and it's a form of being elite. Mm. I'm quite passionate about it. So, I've, my voice has gone deeper. <laughs> I think historically, like, there wasn't single-sex schools because there was only boys' schools and yeah. girls weren't educated. But when Mary Wollstonecraft, you know, kind of created one of the first schools in London for women, it was a, it was like this Drop kind her of... In. <laughs> <laughs> Mary who? Wollstonecraft, who created the first, first school for women. <laughs> it was like this kind of haven for for girls to get educated and yeah. and that feels amazing because it was it was not saying about but, but then there's this idea that do you think girls should be educated differently you know, you know, is yeah. the national curriculum actually quite male focused and focuses on like learning oh, abilities God, for men? And then actually, should we have uh, schools for girls because we can we can teach them uh, adhere to their needs a bit more? You know, they're much more compassionate or empathetic. Or but then that's the gender binary, binary again. That's mm. a stereotype. And one thing I would say that's good about female schools is I, I read an article about somebody who went to a single-sex school and she said the best thing about it was that the best people she knew at science and the best people she knew at maths were women because mm. they were her friends and yeah. they were the girls in her class and everyone has the space to be really good at something. So it wasn't like, mm. oh, boys are good at tech and engineering and girls are good at art and home economics mm. you know yeah, people those. get pushed into those kind of like guys do stem subjects and yeah the smartest girl in my year uh, smartest person in my year was a girl smartest person in my my year was a girl too and we both went to mixed schools so maybe women are smarter than men i don't know, <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying about that um so historically men obviously obviously annoyingly obviously were the first to receive education 150 years ago in the uk poor women had no chance of an education unless they became a nun so they could be taught to read and write i would have become a nun back in the day so just so you could read and write yeah i don't want to oh, marry just... some old random old man yeah. I assume it's a random old man. <laughs> in the UK, it's illegal for children under 16 not to go to school. It's been compulsory for all, not just men in the upper classes, since 1880, when an act made education compulsory from the age of 10. Over the years, it's steadily risen to the age of 16. 
um, which happened in 1964, which is now still the case. That's quite, like, recent, really. Yeah, totally. Do you think that um, the fact that women have only in recent history had access to education affects kind of... Us. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about all those kind of great academics that we see or that we've read being yeah. being both university educated it's mostly been men most yeah. of the things that we've kind of learned and like experienced the world through the eyes of men so yeah it definitely still affects us and it will probably affect us and sadly a few more generations below us until we start re- rewriting our history books and becoming the academics of you know are you talking about the she rose of history the she there's a group Herstory. called the sh- herstory <laughs> i think it is herstory she rose of herstory she there's some really good twitter handles that we'll put on the show notes of this of people talking about it globally the picture isn't as inclusive as it is in the uk 130 million girls around the world still do not receive education of the world's 774 million illiterate adults two-thirds of them are women let's listen to a clip of malala telling us a very important story on the 9th of october 2012 the taliban shot me on the left side of my forehead they shot my friends too we realized the importance of pens and books. The wise saying, the pen is mightier than sword, was true. I'm focusing on women's rights and girls' education because they're suffering the most. We cannot all succeed when half of us are held back. For our American or Polish listeners... Hi, guys. I know you're there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Um, So you'd be forgiven for thinking that all British people went to boarding schools. But alas, Hogwarts is as fictional as Harry Potter's giant broomstick. Britain is known worldwide for its excellent private school education. So what are the different schools that British people can go to? You've already told me, Rubes, what school you went to. You went to a state school. I actually went to a grammar school. But it was a state-run grammar school. What do you think this is? The 60s? (laughs) Let's start with the definition of grammar schools then. Why didn't I know you went to a grammar school? I never asked. Okay, so a grammar school is a state secondary school that selects their pupils by means of an examination taken by children at the age of 11, known as the 11 plus. Did you take an 11 plus exam? I did, yes. Shit! Did you pay to go? You don't pay to go. No, it's, it's, it's a state-run grammar school. There are only about 163 grammar schools in England out of 3,000 state secondary schools. So you went to, like, a proper good school. They don't have many of them anymore. <laughs> yeah, I went to a grammar school. It was, uh, it's weird because it's, people sometimes see it as, like, a little spot in between a comprehensive and a, and a private school. Yeah, it is, isn't it? That's... I mean... I, I guess. I mean, how do you're you... You're clever then, because you pass your 11 plus. I don't I mean, think I'd have passed When you're 11, 11, do you know what the exam is? It's like non-verbal reasoning and verbal reasoning. You look at shapes and you put them in different things. And in the household I grew up with, I was doing non-verbal and verbal reasoning exams from what? the age of eight. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd pass it now. To be honest, I definitely wouldn't pass it now. It was all like rote trained. I grew up in a house where like, you know, that going to a grammar school was like the most important thing that you could do because we could never afford to go to private school and it would be the only way to lift us out of it. Neither of my parents went to university. My mum left school at 13 to look after her family. Like, education was like the peak 
was like the winning thing so you were you like do. kind of trained for it yeah a comprehensive school which is the school i went to is a state school that does not select its intake based on academic achievement you basically have to live in the area and you go to the school and about 90 percent of british secondary schools are comprehensive schools so my school is called yately comp comprehensive which is like a high school in america hmm. isn't it so they comprehensive schools were introduced uh, as an experiment in the 1940s and became more widespread in 1965 so if you think about britain in the 1940s we'd kind of we world war ii was over towards the like the end of the decade the nhs was coming in in the 60s people were kind of celebrating more lives everybody wanted a better life that they had fought for and that they had mm-hmm. created and this idea that all children can go to school till the age of 16 was a massive deal and yeah. all children having access to a good quality education was a massive thing mm-hmm. and all these comprehensive schools were made I was lucky, though, because my comprehensive school is in Hampshire in the south of England, which is one of the most privileged areas of the country. So there were lots of private schools near me, which mm. kind of rich people went to. But it wasn't like a felt like a bad option but to I anybody. That's really interesting about comprehensive schools, because people say they're not selective on education, but they're selective on location. Yeah. Because if you're wealth in the, in the country, it's distributed by location. So the and people parts move there. The, yeah, people move there to get closer. Who can afford to move there and get closer? Like, yeah. That's how it works. Um, in the United Kingdom, in their independent schools, also called private schools, are fee paying schools. They're governed by an elected board of govern- governors and independent of the many regulations and conditions of state funded schools. They do not have to follow the national curriculum. So grammar schools and state schools, we all have to follow the same curriculum. So me and Ruby, although at different levels, <laughs> would have been taught similar things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's really kind of wild yeah. that because you pay to go to a certain school, you don't have to follow the national curriculum that you wouldn't have read Mice and Men. Mm. Did you read Mice and yes. Men? Yeah. yeah, everyone reads Mice and Men. Everyone has to read of Mice and Men. It's a coming of age. So many of the older, expensive and more exclusive uh, private schools cater for 13 to 18-year-olds in England and Wales. And they are often known as public schools um, after the Public Schools Act of 1868. The term public being derived from the fact that they were open to pupils regardless of where they lived or their religion. So I think sometimes it's really confusing when someone calls it a public school because it makes it sound like it's a state school and it's free to go for. But in 1868, it was the first school where anyone could come to. You just had to pay for it. Mm, But I think that's it, right? So if you go to a private school, the upper end of private schooling is public schooling. So anyone who actually says they go to a public school is posher than posh. If your child goes um, goes to a private school, in the UK, the average cost is £14,000 for day school and £32,000 for boarding school. Is that an annual cost? Yeah, then? that's over the year. So if your that's child lives madness. there... So like if you went to Hogwarts, it'll be £32,000 a year. And that's the average. If you want to go to like one of the really, really good schools, it'd be a lot more. So 7% of children in the UK are privately educated. So that's a very, very small minority. But 45% of Conservative MPs went to private school. 51% of journalists came from a private school background. And 80% of leading editors went to a private or grammar school. 71% of top military officers were privately educated. That one's a bit creepy, isn't it? 74% of judges working in high courts. 83% of the country's top doctors, independent schools or grammar schools. And 42% of British BAFTA award winners went to private school wow 
basically, if you went to private school, the chances that you're going to, like, be a, a leader in your field... Do you know what? Like, kind of the TV and, like, politicians we all knew... Right, every mm. you know, private school, it's an old boys club. But like 83% of the top doctors or top judges, 74% of the top judges, that's a lot, man. Yeah, order. Because <laughs> the they're all like encouraged to do... To do debate. <laughs> Debating society, They're really though. good at public speaking. Yeah, well, they're just, they have this confidence, I think, people that I've met who went to private school that is just so bold. It's like, yeah. it's the thing that always floors me when I meet someone who's like 25 just out of like university and went to a private school and they're just like but they talk like a 60 year old with a whiskey in their hand <laughs> and some loafers on yeah that's i think that's what i've seen private school yeah gives gives people an advantage in that way because they're just a bit more confident they like know who they are and where they came from so i'm making them sound really like posh and i'm being a bit like chippy about it but well yeah. in our industry a lot of people who work in television went to private schools i think about half the people i've worked with went to a private school and it's a real like awakening because you know, you haven't... I've not grown up with people like that. I went to a comprehensive school, went to the sick form attached to my comprehensive school, and then I went to a university that you needed two Cs and a D to get into. Many, And then I went, went into television, and everyone's like, well, it's not my fault. My, my mother and father wanted the best for me. Mm. And I was like, oh, we can't take the piss out of you now because you're all around. <laughs> you are my boss. <laughs> yeah. Did mm. you ever wish you went, though? Did you ever think, oh, I wish I'd gone to... Yeah. What's Lady Eaton? Oh, it's Cheltenham Ladies. Cheltenham Ladies. Ladies. Yeah. Who went there? North London Collegiate. That's another good one at the Barbican. So Mm. I grew up in London and I, you know, I have quite like a diverse friendship group. I'd say there's like lots of, I have lots of comprehensive school friends, lots of grammar school friends and a good margin of private school educated friends. And those are the people that I was always like, your life just looks cooler. And you go on ski trips and you yeah, do all this, this like... bloody ski trips, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like wealthy kids always ski or they they do like lots of other things. Like they have they horses. They summer in places, they have horses. They just do... Yeah, when I was at university, someone... Sail, they sail. After summer, like I came back to uni and they're like, oh, where did you summer? I was like, oh, I summered at Weatherspoons on a double shift. I, I remember at school, like being like, I'm going to university. And they're like, you sure you want to go? <laughs> Do you think that's right for you? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be right for me. It's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. And, like, the teachers were like, okay, okay, go for it. Whereas I imagine if you went to a private school, everyone's like, you cast forms, have you filled them out? You're going to go to university, you're going to get the best education. I mean, it was a bit like that at grammar school, too. Everyone was really pushy about university. Really? Yeah. Because so not. um, I mean, not for me. Maybe other, like, the really bright students in my year. Yeah. There was a photographer at our school. We got our uh, A-level results. And then all these people who'd got all A's were having pictures of the local paper. And I was like, oh, can I get in a picture? Because we were like, oh, I want to be in the, <laughs> in the paper. And the teacher's like, no, <laughs> you did not get all A's. Get back. <laughs> I was like, I thought we were just taking pictures of the students. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think we are being elitist. But it was like really weird to see that all happening. And yeah. when people started applying for like Oxford and Cambridge, it was like, these people are tipped. And it was, yeah, it was kind of weird to see that because you knew they were clever, but you thought that, you were all the same but then it that really separated everyone well the other like extreme of that is feeling this incredible pressure to always be smart and to always yeah. pass all your exams and be doing the best that you can that must be horrible and being incredibly competitive when it came to exams and putting, like being a teenager and not having any fun because you just had to get all A's and GCSEs. did you feel like that all the time oh. all the time 
Like, but did you not just kind of go out and get drunk a bit? Not at all. Not until I was at 17, I think I had a really good summer where I waxed my legs and became <laughs> much better looking than I was as a youth. And I was like, hang on a second, I don't have to do it this way. I can do things for me. And I just did a lot to, for my parents. And I did a lot for my for, exp- for like teachers' expectations because I loved my teachers and they all wanted me to go to university and like they wanted me to go to Oxford. But and- you were going to go anyway. You're clever. You passed your 11 plus. I know, but it just lays out the path for you that you can never fulfil. And I think I still struggle with that. Like I, I think, think you needed a friend that was a bit of a dum-dum just so you could... <laughs> <laughs> we should have been in touch. I'd write you letters. So we're both university educated... For, let, let's tell the listeners what we got. I'm a, a bachelor of is that a bachelor of religious studies and theology. I got a two one at Roehampton University. <laughs> Rubina, it feels like we're on que- um, not question time. University time. Braid Price, Roehampton University. Barney, <laughs> <laughs> <on>, Edinburgh. <laughs> so fingers on the buzzers. Here's your first start of a ten. Edinburgh's a really good uni. Well, well done. yeah, I mean, you only three three Bs to get in, so... Shut up, I never get three Bs. <laughs> I need three Bs to get in. Yeah, I went to the University of Edinburgh. I got a Master's, because everybody gets a Master's, because you have to do oh, four yeah, years. Oh, yeah, you did so do I got Master's. an MA in Social Anthropology with Development. That's amazing. That's a really good degree. Um, are you intelligent, Rubina? Uh, oh, go on, say it. I want to say yes because I know that's like the right kind of feminist bold thing to say. To you got like, a master's in social anthropology from I, one of the best universities in the country. You went to grammar school and passed the 11 plus. You really liked school, <laughs> surely. <laughs> surely. If you're All not intelligent, <laughs> I want to say I'm intelligent, but I don't think I can unless you say you're intelligent. Okay, fine. Yes. Yes, I am. Well done. I definitely have moments of believing I'm not, but yes, fine. I am. As are you. What do you think your education has allowed you to do? Everything. Absolutely everything. From feeling like a career in the media was even possible. Yeah. To having confidence in my writing abilities, having confidence in the way I speak. I did not speak like this before I went to secondary school. Having incredible friends who have done amazing stuff and go all around the world to live and having a, being able to visit them. And just to have my world be bigger. I went to university because um, I had a really shitty home life. Like, that sounds... I don't want to be like, oh, misery story. But, like, guys, when I went to university, I was living at home. My mum was really mentally ill. She was in and out of hospital. I was living with her, caring for her. And it was something that if I did that, I was allowed to get away and... I have so much guilt for leaving but then at the same time I wasn't her carer and if she wasn't well enough to independently live she had to be in hospital so I went to university to try being myself and it worked <laughs> like I hated school I was like really shit at school and then I went to university and I just went to the library to read on my own and write my essays I'd write essays early just had some time to rest mm. and it was like somebody giving like giving you your voice like and just enabling you to just even find out what you like because I was good at sports at school because I could run fast and I had some energy I was like a bit thin and tall so I was like yeah let's just get involved and it was always kind of that was always good because you can put your aggression into sport Mm. (laughs) and all that misplaced angst um 
Um, but then I got my degree and I got a T1, which is a good degree. And I really enjoyed doing religious studies and theology, which was my favourite subject at school. But my other option was to train to be a mental health nurse. And if I'd done that, because my mum was so mentally ill, I would have dedicated my whole life to her. And I, I remember talking to one of my teachers and they were like, if you become a mental health nurse, you know you're not going to make your mum better. Mm. And I was like, oh, I don't actually have She's any sorry. desire to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought maybe I could understand her better if I did this. And I didn't really know I had any potential in any other areas. So mm. religious studies was my favourite subject. So I carried on. Yeah, I just carried on. And that was, I mean, that just gave me... Um, Oh, it's quite it's quite sad, isn't it? It just it just gave no. me my the ability to be myself. And I think to I can try com- on my own. Completely relate to the idea of escaping. Mm. Like my parents argue a lot still, and argued a lot while I was growing up. And the idea of going to a university that was four hundred and thirty-seven miles away, and I remember thinking, that's a long it's way. Four hundred and thirty-seven miles away from them, mm. and it sounds really awful. But I really wanted to get out of that house, um, and. I think they still kind of hold it against me a little bit sometimes because I wanted that. And Do they want you to live at home and go to a university? Well, yeah, because I got an offer from UCL, which is in London. That's a great university too. It was, yeah, that was obviously really exciting for them. And they, they just said, just stay at home and go to, univers- go to UCL. So my brother did and that would be great. And I defied them in so many ways. And I just think it was such an important moment for me. But it's that idea of going to university and finding out who you are. Like we were talking about earlier, like... If you're at school, do you think kind of the single sexness allows you to be yourself? And I think university similarly allowed me to be myself in a yeah. lot of ways and reinvent myself and find out who it was that I wanted desperately to be. I don't often talk about the experience of being at university because it sounds like such a privileged thing to say, being like, oh, I found myself at university. I just like wanted to be independent. But actually at the age of 18 going and living away from home and some people do go and just get pissed and they're wankers and I hated them when I was there I hated them at 18 and I'm gonna hate them at 32 like fuck off do something you love <laughs> like I was there literally because I really liked my subjects and I wanted some quiet to read mm-hmm. and like it's real it was a real kind of coming of age I don't know like I want to I don't know how you can't, there's no, you can't put a price on that. And yeah. it's such a shame that people are being deterred from going to university now because of how expensive it's becoming. Mm. I would just encourage everyone to take out the loans, take out all the loans. <laughs> I have, I'm in so much debt from university. I know, every time I get that statement through, I'm like, oh, was also, it worth it? Also, go to university in Scotland. It's half the price. Is it? it? Yeah, like I have always fees. chose to go to Edinburgh because the costs were less. Mm. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to have debt for the rest of my life. Why don't I have half the debt of somebody who went to an English university? <laughs> Aside from your education, Ruby, what else do you think's got you ahead to the towering triumph you are today (laughs) (laughs) my tits uh i don't know big jugs they always get you a good job (laughs) i think lots of things i I think weirdly my height you know they do say like tall people get better jobs no yeah i think my height might have helped oh wow i think also my ethnicity might have ticked a couple of boxes for some people maybe my gender might have done the same Mm. um and it's weird because if you spend your whole life fighting for equality and then when you get Mm. promoted for those things that you know, you're normally made to feel ashamed of or yeah. angry or upset about. It, you do, it's quite confusing. So you're like, well, should I be prepping that? But um, but then is this a case of, um, um, is it called, you know, the book, The Good Immigrant mm-hmm. discusses what type of ethnic minorities are like seen as 
the model the, minority. The model minority. And for me, I mean, this is probably quite prejudiced, but I, Asian Indians in particular, are the like leaders of industry and the doctors and the clever people. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. So that's probably positive discrimination, me in some way. but yet discrimination. But within South Asian communities. Working in the media isn't like at all something that's a high like standard of success. What of doing would your anything. parents have wanted you to doctor, do? lawyer, accountant? Okay, yeah, <laughs> three choices. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, if you could like work in finance, brilliant. You just needed something structural and stable, something that they could tell their friends, and something that, that they all knew that other people did. Do you think that um, your education kind of helped you get to where you were, or do you think there were other things at play? Were you? Um, I don't know. I think the accent helps. Yeah, I definitely think for me, like being a southerner, mm. it means you sound like the news ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, really nice to meet you. I'm very thank you for considering me for this job. Yeah, to whom it may concern, mm. I'm very interested in applying for this job. Um, I think that, and that also upsets me because yeah. I think I've betrayed a bit of my youth with this accent. And I hold on to this I'd love to have heard your accent before then, if it's changed a lot. I mean, me and my brother were just, like, rude kids of Enfield who would say, like, wagwan to each other. Like, all the time. <laughs> Very seriously say that to each other. <laughs> we do still sometimes. Um, but no, I definitely hold on to the fact that I can speak this way. And I'm Southern. Like, it's such a privilege to southern be Southern. As fuck. I think, for me, being, like, white and like this is like I could pretty much put on that I'm a privately educated well-off sort of person like Charlie as well yeah I'm a well Charlotte I'm a Charlotte Mm. and I mean Charlotte's have ponies don't they but lots of posh Charlottes call themselves Charlie do they yeah and yeah you can just go in and be like oh hello and also like where I grew up like my mum's quite posh, though. Like, she was, even though she's, like, been debilitated by her mental illness and not worked for a long time. <laughs> like, we didn't have any money, but she went to boarding school. Yeah. And she was always like, hello, on the phone. And it's always really embarrassing when friends rang your house. It's like, shut up, mum. Stop being so posh. What does intelligence mean to you? I think intelligence is an ultimate curiosity about everything around mm, you and this nice. kind of refreshing insight into everything. And I think the most intelligent people in my life are the people who hold their hands up and say, you know what, I don't know anything about that. Do you know what? Curious is only a word I've really come across recently and that I'd use recently because I've always felt a bit curious, but I felt like I was always just a bit nosy. <laughs> like I think sometimes with the, like at school we used to be like, oh, you're well busy. Like busybody, oh, yeah. it was always seen like a really yeah. bad thing, like a like a curtain twitcher neighbour. Yeah, type yeah. Person, yeah. But now, curiosity killed the cat, but we're thriving on it, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Final thoughts then. Name two smart British women. Who are your two smart British women? I hope we haven't chosen the same person. Ah, chosen. I think, I think chosen. we might have done. Okay, my first smart British woman is Maggie Adaren Pocock, which who I learnt about through. Um, uh, 
Black is the new black. Uh, she's amazing. So she's just written a book about exoplanets. She's like a scientist. Oh, wow. Black female scientist. And like she um, did that really amazing telescope that's in Chile that's like the kind of high definition one. Um, and she just speaks really well in a way that's accessible. And you just, you see her and you feel like, I want you to like me. Uh, so if she's listening, that'd be great. That's and cool. The second person I had was, and you're going to have the same person, is Katie Moran. Oh, I nearly had her, but I'm not having her. <laughs> I think she is so fucking smart. She is smart. And she speaks so fast and crams so much knowledge <laughs> in. And she's so schooled in so many different things. Yeah. And she wrote for like music magazines and she like, is about gender politics. And, and she's, she's just... sort of self-taught, isn't she? Because she got homeschooled. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a big fuck you to the education system. Like Exactly. You can be an... Uh, phenomenal success without having a traditional schooling life she's so relatable and so smart and very inspiring okay so mine are um rachel riley slash carol vorderman oh because they like the countdown ladies yeah. like because they're so fucking smart like they on the are. spot and like don't <laughs> like they have to wear those dresses so they want to wear those dresses probably like not. everyone fancies them and sometimes right. they have to spell out like cock and cunt and yeah know. and that's embarrassing but like can do, they can do maths on a board like crazy fast and I love it and I love it because it visually looks like they're just going to be like a magician's assistant and they're like oh hello here we go but actually they're fucking smart and I love mm. it every time and my other one's a bit obvious but it's Mary Beard <laughs> I just love yeah. Mary Beard She's and great. I read her recent book about uh, kind of the beginnings of sexism in classical civilization and I remember hearing her talk about her appearance and being like, oh, you think I'm like this old haggard lady? It's like, I've spent my life hunched over books in a library. I've had the most blissful time doing the Mm -hmm. thing I love. And I just think that's what I want to... I'd love to be her. Thank you for listening to the DAS podcast. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode on education. If you want to get in touch with us, there are many ways that you can do that. We are we have a website called daspodcast.com. Twitter is das underscore podcast. Facebook is... Das Podcast. Das Podcast. And Instagram is... This is is Das. Das. Not one for uniformity. No, we're not interested in uniformity. Like it. Share it. Das Das it. it.